I've always said, and I firmly believe this, that the best in Charlotte are the best anywhere in the world. There are some amazing musicians in Charlotte. I'm Joni Deutsch, and from WFAE in Charlotte, this is Amplifier, the music podcast where we shine a light on the artist who calls Charlotte home. Because Charlotte is more than just a banking city or a football city. So every other Thursday on this podcast, we're going to explore the people, places, and things that help define the Queen City's crown sound. And today, we'll hear from the Charlotte music veteran who's been marching to the beat of his own drum for nearly 60 years. That's coming up on Amplifier. Amplifier. And then the beat will drop. Amplifier. 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 Can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do in Charlotte Music? My name is Jim Brock. I'm a drummer and percussionist. I have been for, oh, about 58 years, I think, somewhere in there. And uh, I produce and uh, engineer. And uh, even though I've uh, had many decades of real extensive travel, uh, studio and making records has always kind of been my my thing. And Jim, I, I would say your thing, if we were to go off of the multiple music publications that have featured and interviewed you, over the past few decades, is that your thing is being one of the best drummers alive, period. Oh. So says Modern Drummer Magazine, so says UK's Drummer Magazine. I mean, really, any kind of major drumming publication that's interviewed you, to sum it up, they say that you are the quintessential drummer's drummer. Your compositions have been recognized by the Emmy Awards. You've appeared on national programs like The Tonight Show, Good Morning America, you performed at the White House for President Bill Clinton. And let's not forget that you've logged, as you mentioned, nearly six decades, hundreds if not thousands of drum recordings with music legends like Joan Baez. In the distance, I saw a light. Jean-Baptiste walking to me with the maker. Joe Walsh. Kathy Matea. That's how people would sum you up. Gosh, that's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why, Jim, I thank you for joining us for this podcast interview. But I emphasize that it is a podcast interview because, as I just shared, the conversation could easily take the form of a a multi-episode documentary, given your life's work in music. You know, I don't... uh, uh... Trying to be the best has never been in my thoughts, you know. Um, I I play music because that's the gift I was given, so I could have a life, basically. And uh, because I'm self-taught, I've never had lessons, even though, you know, 
the drummers and percussionists that are the world's best, they taught me, but they just didn't know it. And, uh, you know, and, um, you know, I just try to stay true to the music that I'm playing at the time. I don't, you know, trying to show off is not in my realm of thought and uh, I just want to you know because uh, my favorite drummers are the ones that are basically invisible until they're asked to step up till it's their turn and I admire those people you know the Russ Kunkels of the world they're my favorite drummers you know well Jim we're gonna talk about your career the heroes that you've met along the way and your own legacy and what you've left behind, especially here in Charlotte. But the very first question I have to ask you and one that many of our listeners are likely wondering is how many drums do you own right now? Oh gosh. A few hundred. (laughs) I feel like that's a conservative number if you just say a few hundred. Well, uh, you know, there's when you get into the world of percussion, uh, I don't know how many percussion instruments I do own. It's uh, scary because I've been collecting my whole life since I started. I have the very first symbol that I ever got in my life from Sears and Roebuck, you know, and uh, it's a real piece of junk, but. It's got its own character, and uh, so it winds up on a record here and there because it's got its own thing, and that's what it needed at the time. And um, I've got quite a collection. Jim, you mentioned just a moment ago that you still have, you still own the very first symbol that you got from a Sears Roebuck catalog. And... I would love it if you could take us back in time to your musical upbringing, your first music memories, which to note did not take place here in Charlotte, but they actually took place in a different state, which is the Buckeye State, Ohio. Right, right. A little, small little town of about 14,000 people. Farming community, lots of pigs, lots of corn. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. I must have been ten years old or something, and and my folks took me took me to the Fayette County Fair, and they had a band playing, and they were called Ivan and the Sabers, and that's really the first time that I experienced drums live. Of course, I've seen it on television, but uh, and uh, I left that county fair. Not the same. And uh, I knew from then on that was what I was supposed to do. And I've never looked back on it. And, uh, and then finally, uh, my folks got me a snare drum and a little cymbal from Sears. And, uh, and I remember uh, when Kennedy was assassinated and they're rolling the caisson through the streets and the drummers are playing, I went upstairs and learned that the drum part. And uh, I still remember it to this day. And uh, 
that's 63 is when that was uh yeah so uh i mean it's been it's been in my soul for sure what did drumming mean to you at that time oh it, it was uh just a it was like a, another arm for me it was just part of me you know back then you know the music was elvis and then later on you know it became the you know the music of the 60s which is of course the greatest era ever <laughs> at least in my life it has been and you know the only music i really knew what was on the radio cuz my family was not musical at all i would hear my dad sing once in a while when he didn't think anybody was around to hear him, you know. But uh, he loved music, but it was not in my family at all. Uh, I have an older sister, and when we were both living at home, uh, I would go to bed, and I can still to this day, she had uh, the Peter Gunn album, and uh, she would play that in her room, and... That was just magic. And it's always, music has always taken care of me. Well, you know, when other kids my age were having paper routes and mowing, mowing lawns, you know, I was, I was playing with bands, uh, like the, the local roller rink. They'd have a back room and they'd have bands in there for, so the, you know, kids could jump around and stuff. And, and I used to play there and, making far more money than mowing, a gra mowing grass. And, you know, my folks would, even if I got hired by somebody to play someplace that sold alcohol, of course, you know, even all the way up through my teens, they'd have to take me. And they'd sit there all night long and drink coffee till I was done. Then they'd load me up and take me home. You know, and I'd make 20 bucks and... It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Sounds like really supportive parents right there. Oh, yeah, big time. My mom always, because people would always say, you know, what, how can you stand the drums, you know? And she goes, when I hear the drums, I know where he is. That was her theory. And I grew up across the street from a funeral home. And on certain days, they'd call the house and they'd say, tell Jimmy not to play the drums from two to four. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got a funeral going on. And, I read in your bio that after graduating high school, you found yourself in Charlotte, North Carolina. Is that correct? First time I came here was in 74. And the place they took me to was the Double Door. Everybody remembers the Double Door the way it was when it closed, but a lot of people don't remember it when it had uh, restaurant booths in it and 
you couldn't see the stage from the, that front room because of this huge fireplace that was there that they originally, I mean, finally got rid of. So that was my, you know, entrance, introduction to Charlotte. And, and then later on, about 77, uh, some people here wanted me to play. So I decided I was going to make the move. Plus, the winners of Ohio drove me away. And uh, so I moved to Charlotte. When I got here, the group that I was going to play with immediately broke up. So that wasn't in the picture. <laughs> the band that I moved here to play with broke up. So that was, that was a goner. So uh, I had grown up. My dad was not a mechanic, so I grew up in his shop. And, uh, you know, I knew I was a good mechanic. And uh, so I took a job as an auto mechanic in this gas station. And uh, I did that for maybe, I don't know, three, four months, I guess. And then uh, I put posters up in the music stores, you know, and got a call. Uh, to play in this uh, with these two ladies these uh, Joy Perrin and Carolyn Moore had a band called Moore and Perrin and they did blues and um, they called me I went and played with them it was all great and uh, so I go I go well you know here we go so I remember that I'm work putting brakes on this guy's car, and I I finished I finished the brake job, of course. But I, then I laid my wrenches down on the floor, and I said, "That's it." And I walked out, left my tools there, and everything. Right? I said, "I'm either going to do it." Or I'm not, and uh, there was no question. I had no fallback plan because fallback plans make you fall back. So I had to stick it out, and I did. And uh, you know, not when you're early twenties, it's hard. But I had a '51 Studebaker milk truck that I lived in for a while, so I was cool. <laughs> I raised the top on it so you know it looked like I was riding around with a boat on top of the van so I could so just to raise the roof so I could stand up in it and I had a sink in there that had running water because I used a um, windshield washer motor that would you know give me water through the through the faucet at the sink that I put in there and I had a bed and a camping toilet and uh, friends would let me park and uh, so I lived in that thing for quite a while actually because at that time I was a professional drummer and that's what I wanted to be if I took another job I wasn't that was my theory so 
Now, every once in a while, of course, I would do something for a day for somebody, make a few extra bucks, but, uh, but I never took another job because then I wasn't a programmer. Coming up, Jim Brock shares how his Native American identity informs and inspires his music. That's right after this break on Amplifier. Jim, you have formed strong friendships and musical partnerships with a number of talented, legendary music professionals over the years. I would say that you would count Grammy Award-winning folk icon Janice Ian as as one of those individuals, one of those longtime friends. produced music with her for around 20 years. I'd love it if you'd be able to tell us a little bit more about how that relationship, how that partnership came to be. Uh, I was making a Marty Jones record, and there were a couple songs that Marty was doing that Janice wrote. So why not just get Janice to come play the piano? So they did. And... Uh, so we, you know, we do the we do the record and everything, and then later on when the record comes out, uh, we did this writers show at the Bottom Line in New York for Marty to kick off Marty's new record, and so all the different people that wrote songs for that record were in the band, like John Hyatt, you know people like that so you know Janice was there and uh, and then it wasn't uh, long after that that Janice calls me and says uh, come play in my band and it was a long friendship and and she's the one that gave me most of the travel you know the overseas kind of things because she was big star we were always in Japan because she's a huge star in Japan, all through the Netherlands and all through Europe and Australia. And, you know, that was my that was my gig. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, flying to Glasgow, playing 90 minutes and then fly home. <laughs> Your resume features practically every genre of music under the sun. Jazz, pop, R&B, folk, Latin, country, new age, rock. I mean, again, the list goes on. What drives this eclecticism? Where did that passion for music diversity come from? Um, Of course, there are styles of music that I prefer over others, but to play it, it's all great. It's all music. It's as long as it's done with heart, and 
and not just to, you know, copy what's happening now to make, you know, make that paycheck or something. When people do things like Janice and Kathy and and Joan, you know, and the Indigo Girls, they do their thing with heart and they believe in it so strongly and that's that's what I like I don't care what the groove is I don't care if it's you know some country thing country shuffle or you know a Latin tune if it's done with heart it's it's beautiful to me Something we haven't talked about is uh, your background. Uh, your father comes from Native heritage. And as someone who's been in this music scene for decades, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your experience and your thoughts on identity as one of the few Native American indigenous musicians with that sort of background. Well, you know, my dad didn't raise us such... Um, even though he did instill some great things in us. But, you know, you know, he saw some stuff that wasn't so great. And, you know, uh, I go back and, and uh, you know, through a lot of my ancestors and stuff, you know, and they were, they were murdered. And uh, but I tell people that it that native heritage thing it pops up into my sound more than anything, and and I know it does because it resonates with me, and I know that's what it is, and. And I have a feeling that a lot of that is why I got the gift to start with. That's why it was handed to me. And, uh, yeah, he, he grew up, uh, you know, in around Asheville, you know. And, uh, and he met my mom and when he was in the Navy and, and, uh, we you know wound up where I'm from because that's where she was from. But uh, you know he instilled some some great things in us. But he just wanted us to be not have to deal with a lot of that other crap. You know, uh, he just wanted us to be normal kids. You mentioned a little bit about the sound. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that and how what's been passed down to you relates to the music that you make. Um, a lot of things I do are very primal. 
um, and I and I don't really know why, except for that, you know. Uh, it's got to be something that's been in me since birth that comes out when I do the thing that I'm supposed to do. I mean, I have no uh, doubt that drumming is what I'm supposed to do. What I get from playing is so fulfilling and such a spiritual thing for me. Would you say that the national music community or even the local music community has made space for musicians like yourself that have that native or that indigenous ancestry and heritage? Um, some places in town, sure. Um, Mars Park Baptist Church. They're always trying to get me and Little Big Eagle, who sings and plays uh, native flute, to, uh, and we've done it a few times, to come and do services and virtual things and because they embrace that. There's not a huge native population here that's organized anyway. I know there's the Metrolina Native American Association, but the guy that was ahead of that at one time was his name was Jim Brock, <laughs> and and he passed away, and everybody freaked out when it hit the papers <laughs> because they thought it was you that yeah. had passed away. Yeah. Um, But you, but you wonder, you know, the, there used to be powwows around here, but there hasn't been in a number of years, and I'm not really sure why. I wish there were more, you know, Native awareness, you know, because, gosh, where did Waxhaw get its name, right? You've been in Charlotte now for some time, and you've seen... Things come, and you've seen things go. Uh, music venues, bands. I'm wondering what your take is on Charlotte music right now and how you've seen it over the last few years from your perspective behind the, the kit and the drums. Well, Charlotte has always, to me, has always been a very creative community. Uh not just in music, but in art in general. I think a lot of the things that have held things back is uh, venues, um, lazy venues. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of places to play, but there's very few places that present what they have. Even if it's a restaurant, 
you know, and nobody's there. Everybody's eating, and nobody's really paying attention to you. But you're there, and you know, maybe they could at least put you on the advertisement that you're playing from seven to nine or whatever it is, you know, or maybe turn that TV off for a minute. <laughs> Because there are incredible things going on in this community right now. I've always said, and I firmly believe this, that the best in Charlotte are the best anywhere in the world. There are some amazing musicians in Charlotte. Jim Brock is a long-standing drummer in the Charlotte area. Find his music on jimbrock.net and wherever fine music is streamed and sold. Amplifier is a production of WFAE. This episode was written and produced by me, Joni Deutsch. Our editor is Jennifer Lang. Our theme music is provided by Dirty Art Club. Share your favorite Charlotte music recommendations with me on social media. You can tag and follow me. I'm at a change of tune. Amplifier features a new musical episode every other Thursday. So make sure to subscribe to the Amplifier podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. And if you're listening on NPR One, make sure to give us a heart or a favorite. Check out the playlist and show notes for today's episode, along with a Charlotte music map and a way for you to submit your music on our website wfae.org slash amplifier. Until next time, I'm Joni Deutsch. Thanks for listening.